0: Welcome to the podcast for Church of the Nazarene. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. You can also search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and tune in. Make sure to join us each Sunday at 9 on Facebook Live. Our in-person service times are 9 and 10.30 a.m.
1: in English and 11.45 in Spanish. Also, Celebrate Recovery meets each Monday night at 6.30
0: i'm just grateful for the opportunity to open god's word with you this morning you're going to see a picture on the screen here and this is a picture of my family and they may not look familiar because uh this isn't my family that lives here this is my family of origin and um here we are on our porch in kentucky about a year ago but this is my parents this is greg and angie sitting on the swing um to my right um as i'm facing you to my right this is my older sister tiffany to my left, this is my younger sister, Angel. Tiffany is uh, two years older than I am, and Angel is seven and a half years younger than I am. And you're like, why are you showing us a picture of your family? And it's to give you an illustration. And maybe you can relate to this. Uh, Maybe you can't. Maybe you're an only child, but maybe you've seen it um, in other families or in your parents. And um, But it's this idea of favoritism, right? Having a favorite, right? There's this this argument among the siblings of, well, you're the mom's favorite. You're dad's favorite. You know you're the favorite. I mean, I'm not. Like, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? There's this, there's this tension, and so my older sister is the firstborn, right? She's the firstborn child of the family, and my younger sister is the baby. Naturally, she is the baby of the family, and so here I am, and you may, you may know what I'm talking about. If you're the middle child, you're just, you're just in the middle, right? This middle child phenomenon, you just exist in the middle. You're not the oldest, you're not the firstborn, you're not the baby, and so you're just in the middle. But my sisters would argue, they would say, well, yeah, but you're the only uh, son, you're the only male child, so that makes you uh, a favorite anyway, because you're the only boy, which, say what you want, but um, we all know ultimately that the baby is the favorite, right? Amen? You don't have to amen that, but... But my younger sister, um, I think she was watching live on first service. She's the baby. of the fa- she, She's the favorite, um, but I digress from that because that's not what we're going to talk about this morning. James is going to address the idea of favoritism, but it's, it's not the favoritism that I just talked about with uh, regards to siblings and who's mom and dad's favorite. It's something... Different, And so we continue in our series. We've been going through the book of James um, and we've made it through chapter one. We are diving into chapter two today. And I want to say this, that this series is an exegetical series. We are exegeting, we are doing exegesis on the scripture. And what does that mean? It means we're exiting the meaning from the text. We're opening God's word and saying, what is this saying in its context to the listeners? And what does that mean for us today? There's another form of reading the word. It's called eisegesis, where you read into the text with your own presuppositions. You make the text essentially say whatever you want it to say. And that's a wrong way of reading God's word. So what we're doing, what we desire to do every week is to exegete God's word, to open up the word and allow it to speak directly into our lives as it Is written, and so James, we are moving to chapter 2, and James is going to be addressing a particular area of failing in his readers, in his listeners, of doing the Word. As we finished up chapter 1, we understand this emphasis that James is putting on not just hearing the Word, but actually doing it, actually living the Word. And the favoritism that we're going to address is that James is calling the church out on is similar to what you're going to see in this clip from the new series, The Chosen. But I want to set it up, I want to set it up for a minute because um, this clip picks up in Samaria, and you're going to see James and John, the sons of Zebedee, two of Jesus' disciples. They're running to find Jesus. They're in Samaria. If you know anything about the context of God's word, you know that Samaritans and Jews didn't get along. They had hatred towards each other. They had judgment towards each other. There was this wall, and they were not willing to tear it down. You stay there. I'm going to stay here, and that's how how things should be. Well, Jesus, in John chapter 4, he meets a woman at a well, and she's a Samaritan woman outside the city of Samaria. He tells the woman all that she's ever done. She runs into the city and says, could this be the Messiah? And because of the woman's testimony it says that many believed in Jesus so they go out and they say Jesus we want you to stay with us we know you're Jewish we don't care we know this message is good and we need it so Jesus stays and the word says that many believed because of the word of Jesus because of his message many placed their faith in him but yet there was still there was still this something deeply rooted in his disciples hearts that that needed to be removed and you're going to see that at play here in this clip.
1: Rabbi. Ah, you couldn't wait, could you? we well, sorry, we just uh, wanted to clear a few things up, if that's okay. By all means. You Jewish boys are far from home. Yes, as a matter of fact, we are. Shalom to you too. Here's our traditional Jewish greeting for you. Don't lift a feet. That was a warning. Try it again and see what happens. Quiet, big James. Shalom to you too. You filthy dogs! I said quiet. Let us do something. What would that achieve? Defending your honor. They reviled and humiliated you. They deserve to have bolts of lightning rain out and incinerate them. Yes, fire from the heavens. Fire? You said we could do things like that. Say the word and it will happen. Why not? We knew we couldn't trust these people. We shouldn't have come here in the first place. They don't deserve you. Why do you think I had you work, Melek's field? What was I trying to teach you? To, to help? Do you think it was just to be more helpful or to be better farmers? It was to show you that what we're doing here will last for generations. What I told Fotina at the well, and what she then told so many others, it's sowing seeds that will have a lasting impact for lifetimes. Can you not see what's happening here? These people that you hate so much are believing in me without even seeing miracles. It's the message, the truth that we're giving them. And you're going to get in the way of that because a few people from a region you don't like were mean to you. That they're not worthy? What, you're so much better? You're more worthy? Well, let me tell you something. You're not. That's the whole point. It's why I'm here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Rabbi. As we gather others, I need you to help show the way to be humble. We will. You wanted to use the power of God to bring down fire to burn these people up? Well, it sounds a lot worse when you say it that way. like a storm on the sea. Come on.
0: The sons of thunder at their finest. So as we dive into James 2, today we're talking about playing favorites. Playing favorites. And, And that's going to lead us into our passage. But before we get there, I want to take a quick look back at where we've been in James chapter 1. In chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, it says this, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Verse 21, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Verse 25, But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. And verse 27, which leads us into our text today, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows and their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And so now we're moving into chapter 2. We're moving into chapter 2, and we're going to find that these people that James is speaking to are not living lives characterized by genuine love and concern for all people. No, they're actually guilty of showing favoritism and partiality to some people over others. And for such discrimination um, in the church, it violates the kingdom law of love. In other words, the person who discriminates is not properly doing the word. So would you stand with me for the reading of God's word today? We're going to be in James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 1. Here we go. My brothers... And sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes to you in your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or you sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen. My dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you've dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Verse say, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law's lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. So speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And in this moment, we invite your word to examine our lives. We put ourselves under the word and allow it to examine us, God. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to respond in obedience that we would be your people. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated You can be seated. So, for the rest of our time, we're just going to pull that text apart. We're going to pull it apart for the rest of our time together. We're going to start in verse 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism, must not show partiality to anyone. This word here, this word favoritism, partiality, is literally a, a receiving of the faith. A judging by outward appearance. It is to be impressed by outward appearance. It's to be a respecter of persons based on outward circumstances. Outward circumstances. And it's interesting how he frames this statement. He says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord, it's important. That phrase is important because the basis for that phrase is a rendering from the Old Testament use of the word glory, which was to signify the presence of God. And so what James is doing here, he's taking, he's taking the title glory and he's applying it to Jesus Christ to remind his listeners, this is who you are serving. It is the glorious Lord. And faith in the glorious Lord Jesus leaves no room for this behavior because Jesus Christ, in his His glory, in his glorified state now, he's reminding them that his glory and majesty is so beyond our comprehension that to see him face to face, that to see his glory, we would fall as though dead, as John said in Revelation. When he saw the glory of the risen Christ, he fell as though a dead man or perhaps even die, as the Old Testament has alluded, that God said, I cannot show my glory to you face to face, or you, you would die. And what James is setting up here, as he, as he dives into this portion of teaching, he's saying, listen, there is, there is your Lord, Jesus Christ, to whom you have confessed your faith, and he, his glory is beyond, beyond comprehension. How dare you make distinctions amongst mere human beings? For this is the God whom you serve. And this statement that he makes in verse 1 is an imperative statement to the believers to whom he's writing. This isn't an opinion. This isn't, this isn't just, hey, uh, this is a suggestion, church. This is my opinion on how things should be. No, this is, this is a, an imperative statement, and the church is engaging in this sort of behavior, and James is appalled by the church's behavior. First off, because it's a direct contradiction with God's character. The Apostle Paul would pen in Romans chapter 2, he would say that God does not show favoritism in his righteous judgment. God does not show favoritism. So this, act, or this behavior is in contradiction with the character of God. And secondly, it puts these Christians in the position of acting just like the ungodly world around them as they are disobedient to the king's royal law. And so he continues. Suppose, he, he poses an illustration for them. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated? Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Remember, he's writing to the church. And if you'll remember back in James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, when we talked about doubting, right? When it talked about praying and asking, but do not doubt. For a person who doubts is like a wave tossed on the ocean. They're double-minded and unstable in all their ways, is what James said. Well, that same word, the word doubt back there in 1, verses 6 and 8, it meant something like self-disputing, being divided against oneself, double-minded and fickle. Well, this word discriminated in verse 4, is the exact same word. It's the exact same word in the Greek. So if we understand the idea and the danger of being divided and double-minded and turned against oneself in our relationship with God, then it shines light on why it's so wrong to have such distinctions created in the church amongst the people of God. We're divided amongst ourselves. We're divided against our own body, against ourself. He said, and you become judges with evil thoughts. Now listen, listen, church. This is going to happen everywhere else. This idea of showing favoritism and showing partiality, receiving of the face, of outward appearance and circumstance, this is going to happen everywhere else. But the Bible says that for those who have placed their faith in Jesus, this must not remain a reality. So ask yourself this morning, am I a person who acts with favoritism, with partiality towards others based on outward appearance or circumstances? Am I a respecter of persons? Well, how, how does that look today? Do we live that way in the celebrity culture in which we find ourselves living in? Even in the church, are we a respecter of persons? Do we live that way when it comes to politics and political figures? Or maybe even a little closer home, do we show partiality as we examine the appearance of the cashier to determine which, which line we want to check out at the grocery store? Or maybe, maybe we show favoritism based on the status of the person to whom we're engaging with. Or maybe, maybe it's choosing which neighbors you're going to be most friendly with based on the signs that are posted in their yard. Or perhaps do you freely give to those campaigning for support, whatever that support might be, but withhold it from those standing on the street corner? Am I a respecter of persons? James continues in verse 5, Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? Listen, you can look throughout the history of God's people and you can see that he has shown special care and concern for the poor and for the persecuted. Search your Old Testament account of God's people. Look at the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ and you will find numerous examples that God does not show partiality. Especially when it comes to rich and poor, to status, to appearance, to outward circumstance. Jesus declared this in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And it's been demonstrated that the poor are more apt to rely on God, to place their faith in Him because they see and know a need that those with wealth have trouble knowing. He doesn't say those who have wealth cannot come into this faith. That's not what he's saying. But he says there's a need. And he continues in verse 6. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Now listen, while there were many in the diaspora, that's why many of those believers who had been scattered out from Jerusalem, who are now following the way of Christ, of Jesus, many of them may have had wealth. But for the most part, they were poor and persecuted which made them uh, prone to the temptation to envy those who had wealth, maybe even giving the perception that they had a greater significance in the kingdom of God. Are we guilty of that today? I want to encourage you. I, I want to exhort you, as James did his hearers to you today, to be very careful how you interpret or misinterpret wealth, popularity, status, Appearance, those things can be very deceiving. I don't have to convince you to, to look at celebrity Hollywood, to look at the politicians and, and that realm and, and even some in the church. Yes, yes, those those flashy false teachers who, who pervert the gospel. They're all about one thing manipulating people to have control. They're always wanting something from you and from I and from each other. And most often, that something is control, what we can give them. Yet they they can be found openly blaspheming the name of him to whom you belong if you're part of the family of God. But do we honor them? What James is essentially saying, listen, listen, what James is essentially saying is if you're engaging in favoritism, if you're showing partiality in the way you relate to the person in front of you, then you demonstrate that you care more of what those people, that person, can or cannot do or give you. You care more about what they can do or not do for you rather than the value that God has placed. On that person and so he says in verse 8 if you really keep the royal law he's quoting Leviticus 19 here if you really keep the royal law in scripture love your neighbor as yourself you are doing right this idea of the royal law it's the Old Testament law that is now fulfilled interpreted and embodied in the person of Jesus Christ This is what makes the law royal. It belongs to the king. And so if you'll go read Matthew, I encourage you to read Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. This is is Jesus' teaching of what it looks like to embody uh, and understand how to righteously apply the law of God to our lives so that we can love our neighbor as ourselves. The royal law. He continues in verse 9, but if you show favoritism, partiality, if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. If you show favoritism and partiality, then you're in direct opposition of the command of God to love your neighbor as yourself. And according to God's word, that is an act of sin. And when we sin, it puts us in direct opposition to God's law and therefore God Himself. Now, listen to me. Listen to me, church. Give me your eye contact here. This isn't, this message here, this message that is encapsulated in James, and it's going to get, I told the first of it, it's going to get gooder. I know that's not proper grammar. But just lean in because, because He's going to take you deep. But this message here isn't, hey, church. Hey, church, I know you may have done this before. I know you may have showed some partiality. I know you may have showed some favoritism in your interactions. But, but next time, I just want you to remember your manners, okay? Remember your manners and try a little harder next time to treat everybody with the same attitude. Can you do that for me, please? Remember your manners, church. No, it's not that. It's not that because the gospel is never about self-improvement. Some may preach it in a way that the gospel becomes about self-help and and self-improvement and the like, but that's false. The message from the book of James in God's word is this. Brothers and sisters, if you've confessed Christ as Lord and you desire to walk in righteous relationship with him and with others, then the sin of partiality cannot remain in your heart. It's not remember your manners. It's repent of this sin and be
1: merciful.
0: Yet we're often tempted to to only deal with the fruit of the problem. All right, I'll try to be nicer. And never invite God to address the root of the problem. Listen, if you're struggling with partiality today or any other sin that seems to be continuing to produce rotten fruit in your life, then listen to what I'm saying. You must let God deal with the root before you can ever experience true freedom from the deadly fruit that's being produced in your life. What do you mean, pastor? What are you talking about? Maybe you're struggling today with ridding pornography from your life or some other form of sexual sin, Maybe you're working hard. I mean, think of this illustration. If you've ever weed-eated, maybe, maybe you know when you weed-eat, you get rid of those things that looks good for a while, but all of a sudden those weeds grow back, don't they? Until you kill the weeds or you rip them up from the ground, the weeds are going to grow back. And so maybe you're, to rid, maybe you're trying to rid yourself of this fruit in your life, but you've not asked God to deal with the root To deal with those fruits, you must let God deal with the root of lust that is deeply entangled in your heart. Or maybe you're struggling this morning with stopping the the sin of gossip or slandering in your life. Man, i got to stop talking about people so much. Then I invite you to let God deal with the root of jealousy or bitterness or unforgiveness that is deep in your heart. And maybe you're struggling with, maybe it is this, maybe it's the sinful action of showing favoritism or partiality to certain peoples. Then I invite you to let God deal with the root of double-mindedness or self-centeredness and pride that remains in your heart. James continues in verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, You shall not commit adultery, also said, You shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Listen, friends, your obedience in one area of your life does not cancel out your disobedience in another area of your life. It's not how God works. So what does he say in verse 12? So speak and act. Those are doing words, isn't it? James is about doing it. Don't just hear. Don't just speak it. Do it. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. The law of liberty that he talked about just a few verses earlier. The law of grace and love which is applied to all of humanity through Jesus Christ. He says, church, that's how you're to speak and to act as those being judged by that law. Why? Because judgment, because condemnation, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And if you need a bottom line for today, it's the final phrase in verse 13, mercy triumphs over judgment. One commentary said this. It said, failure to show mercy means a failure to understand God's mercy. Failure to show mercy means a failure to understand God's mercy. Do you understand his mercy in your life today? Do you understand what he's done for you? He's saying, he's saying listen, church. You're to look different than the world around you because of the mercy that you've received from me. And yet, we often judge others by their worst actions and judge ourselves by our best intentions. Listen, friends, it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. Because later in James, James will write this. He'll say, Don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So you see, we can't assimilate Jesus into the cultural worldview and the way of viewing others as the world does and call it Christian. As James exhorted the people in this text, I exhort you today be people of the gospel, be people of good news. What did Jesus have to say about it? In Matthew 7, Jesus is preaching this sermon on the mount. And he says this, he says, do not judge. It's the same word that James uses. Do not judge, do not condemn and and, and offer a final verdict on someone. Do not judge. There is a righteous judgment. That's not what we're talking about today. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and listen the greek text is emphatic there is emphasis on this phrase in the greek with the judgment you judge you will be judged we can understand this rationale this warning if we recognize some of the principles that jesus has spoken earlier in the sermon on the mount and so this warning about judgment is the reverse of the positive blessing that jesus advocates in the fifth beatitude matthew 5 and verse 7 Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You see, true disciples who've been changed by the mercy of God in the arrival of his kingdom will exhibit mercy towards one another, not judgment. In other words, if we fall into a pattern of life in which we're judging others, being partial, showing favoritism based upon outward appearance, based on outward circumstance, then we show that we're not true members of, and not truly bought into the kingdom of God. If we've developed this critical, condemning attitude as a pattern of life, then we have forced love out of our relationship with others. Listen, I'll say it again partiality and being a respecter of people it's going to happen everywhere else but our vision our way of living must be that of living out the gospel as we live into the kingdom of God the gospel presents an alternative way of understanding the world it claims to be universal it's for it's for all of humanity It challenges all other ways of understanding the world, of seeing the world. And perhaps one of the most distinct attributes of it, that is the gospel, is the fact that it is non-coercive. The gospel invites belief. It doesn't coerce someone to believe it or to agree with it. It invites faith. So what is this gospel? I'm glad you asked. Jesus Recorded saying these words in the Gospel of John in chapter 3, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever, with no partiality, no matter their status, no matter their wealth, their outward appearance, the way that they're positioned in society, that whoever believes and will place their faith in Him Shall not perish, but have eternal life. Yes, today and forever. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We need his vision, church. We need his vision. Maybe you've heard this verse from Proverbs 29 that says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. They simply go their own ways because they're double minded. But did you know there's a second half to that verse? Maybe you didn't even know there's a second part to Proverbs 29 18. Where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint. They, they perish. They go their own ways. But, but the second half of that verse says, but joyful is the one who keeps the law, the royal law that belongs to the king. I invite you to stand with me this morning. I invite you to ask, ask the Lord to help you with your vision. To open the eyes of your heart to help you be a person that lives out the gospel in your interactions every day because church favoritism and partiality it's going to be shown in every corner of the world in which we live but the word of God says it must not it must not be so in the church ask him to help you with your vision And listen, some of you may be listening today and say, Pastor, I don't even know if I'm right with God. I don't even know where I stand with Him. After hearing this word, uh, I invite you today to respond, to repent. That is to repent of your sin, to turn in in, in another direction. To believe on the name of Jesus and you will be saved. What does that mean? That means you'll be forgiven of your sins. You'll be justified before God. He will regenerate your heart and begin to give you his desires and you'll be adopted into the family of God. And maybe today, maybe you today, you say, I've experienced that. I know I have But God is pressing in on something in my heart. Then I invite you today to repent and to surrender to God's sanctifying grace in your life entire sanctification in the church we we believe in entire sanctification where we consecrate our whole self all that we are to God and then he sanctifies us day by day to reflect his character and his love to a world that he came to save so as we worship I invite you to worship, to, to make this your prayer, or to take a posture of humility, to kneel at an altar, kneel at your seat. Whatever you do, I invite you, I, I exhort you to respond to the word of God today. Would you pray with me? King Jesus, I pray that your church, I pray that your sons and daughters, that your people would, would live in to the unique calling that you've given us as as kingdom people, people of the gospel in a fractured and deceived world that desperately needs the hope and truth of the gospel. Would you give us vision, Lord? Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at info at for any questions about our church. When you're done listening, please subscribe to this channel for the latest updates and new episodes.